today on ScreenShare. The regular session ended just one month ago with no solutions to the dire problems facing Florida families. And now they're going to return for another special session at a cost of a million dollars of public money. My money and your money. While they are here, there is an opportunity to address the real problems that are facing Florida. Dr. Carolyn Zonia, an emergency medicine physician, makes her We Make Florida screen share debut to discuss why she's running to represent you in the Florida State Senate. So on today's show, we'll get into who she is, why she's running, what made her think the political streets were the best route to deliver a family first agenda. You can see her there in the corner and how she plans to claim victory in a state Senate election that is predicted to deliver some electoral surprises in November. I can't wait to get into that uh, story. But we begin screen share with the very exciting news out of Washington over the last couple of weeks. People across different races, workplaces, varying economic backgrounds, and even across generations came together to demand and create better lives for our families. And two weeks ago, President Joe Biden, along with Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, issued an executive order which will forgive $10,000 worth of federally backed student loan debt across the board and $20,000 if the, if the borrower you know, qualified for Pell Grants. Now, Pell Grants, for those of you who don't know, Pell Grants are subsidies issued by the federal government that provide low-income students with financial assistance to attend college. And thanks to Twitter and TikTok and content creators across social media, we know that 20 to 30 years ago, Pell Grants covered about 80% of the cost of higher education. Today, Pell Grants cover barely 30% of the cost to go to college. So let's take a look here. Um, just since the decade that I was born, and I, I'm considered an older millennial, millennials are 40 now, people. We're not the young kids that we used to be. We're 40. You can see how small the difference was between what college cost and what low-income families had to pay. And, the, and trend that to today, where the public college costs have doubled, sometimes even tripled in some instances, whereas Pell Grant awards have stayed at the same level for the past 40 years. So when those 60-year-old crabby folks on Facebook talk about how, you know, I struggle to pay my student loans off and my tax dollars shouldn't be going to pay off other people's student loans, I'm, I'm like, really? You went to school when the taxpayers picked up 80% of the tab. <laughs> now the federal government only picks up about 20% of the cost, which means poor and low-income people have to borrow the rest. Like me, I had to borrow the rest. So the gall of some 65-year-old multimillionaire telling a, ta a Target employee with like $35,000 in student loan debt, making maybe $13 an hour, just suck it up, you know, pay your bills, pay them like the rest of us did when literally the taxpayers paid 80% of your college costs. I'm talking to you, Sean Hannity. Give me a break. So this phenomenon has created a system where American students are now saddled with $2 trillion in student loan debt. That's trillion with a T, not a B. Student loan debt has now eclipsed American credit card debt. The student loan debt in Florida totals nearly $100 billion. So think about it. The budget for the entire state of Florida is $101 billion. So let that sink in for a second. Florida student loan borrowers owe the same amount of money as the entire state's budget. 
Now, if we were uh, Vermont, Delaware, New Hampshire, one of these tiny states, maybe that wouldn't seem as bad. But like Florida is the third largest, most populous state in the union. So do me a favor, check your own state's total student loan debt and compare it to the state's budget and post it in the comments. If we get some good responses, I'll bring them up on the screen. But to make matters worse, only 30% of Floridians even go to college. So 30% of the people in Florida are saddled with more educational debt than the entire $100 million budget of the third largest state in the union. This has got to change. And student loan debt is as much of an important topic as anything else. That's why I did, like, dedicated the, first, the entire first episode of the We Make Florida podcast to fixing the student loan debt crisis. If you have not heard it, Go listen wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, SoundCloud, it's there. And on the show, I'm very candid about how my own personal struggles for economic freedom as a result of student loan debt was, was pretty, pretty hard to deal with. And so if you subscribe to that show, share it with your friends, you'll be able to hear my story and my student loan debt journey. Because I, I, I kind of think that when people's opinions shift and they evolve when they personally know someone who may be impacted by crippling student loan debt. And you know this issue spans multiple generations that are alive today from baby boomers to Gen Zers. Like the number one reason why the social security checks of retired people are garnished in this country is literally to pay down student loan debt interest. Not even the principal, just the interest. So 70% of social security checks garnished by the American government are for student loan interest payments. So if you think that this is just a problem of millennials biting off more than they can chew, I would encourage you to have a little bit of empathy for people who are simply just trying to do the right thing. Because, you know, that's what we tell people. If you want a path to success in America, you go to school, you get a good paying job, you go to college, learn a profession, and you too can live that American dream as I roll my eyes. So by charging endless interest on student loans, people are forced to take out to pursue this education. We've got billionaire bankers that are keeping Americans from providing a better life for their families. And they block the freedom of all of us to learn what really is required to make this country what it needs to be to remain the greatest economic superpower in the world. So by resolving a tiny, tiny, itsy-witsy, teeny bit of... Uh, student loan education debt. We protect our freedom, our families, and our future. So here to talk about Florida's economic freedom, its future, and so much more is candidate for state senate in Florida's 2nd District, Dr. Carolyn Zonia. She's an emergency medicine physician recently endorsed by doctors in politics. It's a political organization that uses hope and unity to change how we practice healthcare in America. Carolyn, welcome to Screen Share. BJ, thank you so much for inviting me. I've been looking forward to this so much. So, you know, you and I are both emergency medicine physicians. So for, for those of you, that's ER doctors. And you and I could devote an entire season of this show talking about what healthcare delivery looks like in the emergency room setting how we've become the primary care doctors of patients who have low incomes or who are are uninsured, and whether or not that's the best practice, spoiler alert, it's not. Uh, But talk to us about what happened that made you decide to add Florida Senate leader (laughs) to the plethora of service-oriented activities you've pursued throughout your career. 
Well, thank you, BJ. There's so many reasons that I decided to run for Senate. And, you know, I think the chief one of those is um, a line from Mr. Rogers that said, in times of trouble, look for the helpers. And I feel like that's what I've been all my life is a helper. And right now, you and I both know, working on the front lines, families are struggling. And I feel like the folks in Tallahassee are insulated and far removed from what the everyday experiences are of families across the state. And, and that's really the chief reason why I'm running is to advocate for people who need help. We have a $20 billion surplus and we're not able to take care of our own people. It doesn't seem right. Yeah. So how has your career as a physician sort of shaped the way you view American access, you know, to, to healthcare in, in Florida in particular in the country as a whole? Well, access, expanding access to healthcare is one of my three priority issues. And you and I know there are over 3 million Floridians who do not have healthcare insurance. Um, I currently volunteer at a free medical clinic, but I can only help one person at a time there. In the Senate, we could expand health care with a single vote. And all it would take would be to accept the Affordable Care Act, and we could expand health care for these folks who do not have insurance currently. And it would also bring $6.6 billion of federal money to the state. So it's not going to increase anybody's taxes. And that's money that we've already spent. We've already paid to the federal government and it's going to other states because we're not getting our fair share. I'm glad you brought up the Affordable Care Act because we just celebrated the 10th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act. And it, and it still shocks me how many people still don't even know about the ACA. I mean, I know people who pay $40 a month for health insurance through Obamacare, through the health care exchanges. But more importantly, you know, Medicaid expansion, which you alluded to, rural hospitals are shutting down in states, particularly across the South, because they can no longer afford to keep their doors open. Not only is this a tremendous health care loss for the area, but in these rural areas, hospitals are most often the biggest employer of the community. So that just the domino effect to the local community can be felt for decades. What, how would Medicaid expansion help give people access to health care while, while even saving the taxpayers money in Florida in the long run? Well, you alluded to it, and I'm on the board of directors of our you know, little rural hospital here in North Walton County. And the hospitals are not able to stay open because they've been the safety net for folks who don't have health care insurance. And they just can't continue to support that. So like you said, this is going to help keep our local hospitals open by expanding health care. They'll be able to continue to serve those patients and not have the economic strain. Now, I, I know people out there, and I've had these conversations that think that Americans who file for bankruptcy, you know, they, they do it because they were living irresponsibly, living beyond their means, buying those cars and those clothes and those cell phones that they couldn't afford. But actually, when you dig into the data, 
The number one cause of bankruptcy in America is healthcare cost. A family whose you know, youngest son was diagnosed with leukemia and who now that child requires a life-saving bone marrow transplant, that can send a family into financial ruin. Or even like a, a working mother of two diagnosed with breast cancer now forced to type into her 401k while her husband picks up a second job to make ends meet. And, and, and during the research for this show, I was even looking up GoFundMe, which says the number one reason people raise money through the GoFundMe website is for medical costs and funerals. In the wealthiest country in the world, we're having people going to GoFundMe to raise money for funerals. I mean... So what's it like for families living, what do you, in your conversations, what, what do you feel as though it's like for families living typically, like literally one medical emergency away from bankruptcy? There are so many stresses on families right now. And the sad thing is, you pointed out, a lot of times folks will delay seeking care because they don't have insurance. And you and I know that if we can catch these problems early, it's much less expensive uh, to take care of a problem early. And you know, one of the things that I like the most about the Affordable Care Act is that your medical screening exam every year is covered. And so you know, you're, it encourages people to go and get screened every year so that we can discover problems and take care of them early. When these problems are left until they're crises, it's much more expensive to give care at that time. And, and people, are, people are concerned about saddling their family with debt. And so they're not even seeking care for a lot of these mm -hmm. problems. And it, as you said, we're the wealthiest country in the world. It shouldn't be like this. And it doesn't have to be if we choose different leaders. So in, in your work um, as, a, as a physician and, a, and in volunteering, have you noticed, particularly throughout the pandemic, how, how, how COVID has affected uh, people's bottom line, their economic security, their economic freedom, navigating this two, the two-year pandemic that we experienced? Well, I think everybody is seeing how the workplace is changing. And, you know, I, that will help folks be able to negotiate for uh, better wages or better, uh, you know, packages uh, to include insurance. There's that possibility. But one of the things that I heard over and over again throughout the pandemic as I was volunteering to do COVID testing and then give vaccinations twice a week is a lot of people very concerned that the pandemic was politicized and disappointed about that and suffering because their family members and uh, friends were sick or had died uh, because of the political infighting uh, over the pandemic. So I think that's, you know, that's one thing that I experienced and it will make this next election very interesting. This is the first election since we've come out, right, of, uh, of some of these things. And, and it'll be interesting to see how Floridians just make decisions this time with the experiences that they've gone through. So we're going to we're going to make a quick transition to housing and that's going to be after the break. So coming up after the break, we're going to talk about housing affordability crisis and how a handful of politicians are allowing corporate developers to play Russian roulette 
with Florida's housing market back in 60 seconds. Which side are you on? Americans who believe liberty and justice are for all? Or traitors inciting violence against our country and trying to take away our freedoms? Which side are you on? People who work for a living and care for our families? Or the Trump Republicans who block everything our families need? This November, it's time to show which side you're on. Vote for Democrats. FFPAC is responsible for the content of this ad. America is a country that works and works and works. But honestly, we're stuck. Too many Republicans and the corporations who buy them are making it harder and harder to get what we earn. They rigged the rules, and now they're trying to divide you by blaming immigrants or black folks or poor people. This November, vote for all of us. Vote Democrats. Way to win any efforts responsible for the content of this advertising. Whether you're from Pensacola or Panama City, destined to Defuniac Springs, working families really do deserve a safe and comfortable place to call home. But we continue to see a handful of politicians who stoke culture wars in the hopes of turning us against our neighbors. They do this because they want us distracted, they want us fighting on Facebook and on Twitter while they hand these kickbacks to their wealthy developer donors. You know, I bring you back into the conversation, Carolyn. A lot of people think that unaffordable housing is just a big city issue. But we know that's not true. On the first season of the We Make Florida podcast, when I interviewed politicians, I would get questions from their constituents ahead of time. And I remember getting a question from a Republican guy, former military, in his 30s, who wanted to know what the state representative was doing to address affordable housing for seniors because he was struggling to find a home for his mom. So his question wasn't about abortion or guns or CRT or Hunter Biden's laptop, God forbid. He just wanted a safe place for his mom to live. Is that what, and and, I mean, that is what most people want, right? So what can elected leaders do to address the housing affordability crisis in Florida? And and have you heard similar things as this guy who was just looking for a place for his mom to live safely? Well, I think you you pointed out, BJ, that they try and control the narrative on this. And, you know, one of the issues that we have is very low income housing. 80% of the people who are using very low income housing are employed or seniors, veterans, or folks with disabilities. And, you know, they try and make us think about a different group uh, using this housing. So I think we have to make sure that we're talking about what groups we're trying to help. And so it's important to do that when we talk about the housing issue. Now, as far as affordable housing, I sit on the Affordable Housing Advisory Committee here in Walton County. One of the most important things that we need to do is to make sure that we fully fund the Sadowski funds This is an act in Florida from 1992 that created a document stamp tax fee on every home sale in the state. That money is supposed to go into a fund to be used to build affordable housing, low income, very low income and moderate income housing. 
but that money is misappropriated. The first $75 million is not even going into the fund. And then two thirds of that money is being directed into programs better funded by the Department of Economic Opportunity and the Department of Environmental Protection. When I'm elected Senator, Sadowski fully funded will be the basement, not the ceiling of funding affordable housing. There are other ways that we can generate more funds, but that's what we really need in the state because costs of building housing have gone up with other costs. Yes. So one of the things that I guess that we needed to particularly address is insurance, homeowners insurance as well. That has gotten unaffordable for for a lot of families. In the last episode, I talked about how my own um, homeowner's insurance was canceled 60 days before hurricane season. And can you imagine how expensive it is to secure homeowner's insurance right before hurricane season when they know you have to have it? So can you can you talk about how, how we got here, number one, and then how can an elected leader attempt to fix this? Because that also adds to why housing is unaffordable, because the homeowner's insurance is also unaffordable. Yes, and wow, we could do a whole episode on this, but Florida has less than 10% of the claims made nationally every year, but we have over 70% of the litigation of claims nationally every year. So it seems to me that it's pretty obvious where the issue is. And one of the things that I would do to try and solve this would be to create arbitration boards. Because if homeowners have a good faith desire to settle a claim and the insurers have a good faith desire to settle a claim, they should be able to both go through arbitration. And then if either side is not happy, then it could go to court. And that could make these claims wrapped up faster and save a lot of money. Now, you know that the legislature had a special session called by the governor to deal with the insurance crisis. Yeah, tell tell them about that. A million dollars, right? These special sessions cost us a million dollars of public money, your money and my money. And all they did was give a $2 billion cash kickback to the insurance lobby and within two weeks, another insurer went insolvent. So they still have not addressed the issue. And you're right, anybody who has a mortgage on their home, if you can't get insurance, you're at risk of foreclosure. So it's it's a d- dire situation that we're in in Florida. And we need creative thinking to get out of this problem. So I, I've, I've heard several other ideas, but it's certainly something that we've got to address once we get a new governor and a new legislature seated, I think uh, we'll be able to address this issue better. One of the other one of the other things that I, uh, and I hadn't planned to ask you this, but <clears throat> one of the other things that I have also heard from particularly people in the panhandle, which is where we both live, is that people are okay with growth. People don't mind growth. They love economic growth in the community. What they are having issue with is land developers and special interest groups coming in 
and building these 1,000 homes, 700 home subdivisions with no investment in the local infrastructure, no plan to expand the schools. Who, when are we going to get build a new school, expand the roads to accommodate the traffic? And so I think this is a, a strong bipartisan issue that I've heard from people on both sides of the aisle complain about when it comes to expanding in order to provide housing that actually really isn't affordable. It, it's, it's unaffordable housing that's being expanded and the infrastructure is crumbling in the process. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I think that's an excellent issue to bring up because actually Florida has one of the best comprehensive land use management plans in the nation. The problem is enforcement. And just like you said, if politicians are working for their big donors and not for us, then they allow these things, uh, these kind of developments to get approved and variances to get approved so that they can build on wetlands, they can clear cut forests, they can you know, put these big developments in where the infrastructure cannot support it. And again, this is one of the reasons why I run is that I will be working for constituents, for all of us, not for big donors. Uh, so, you know, you and I know how bias works. Once you start taking money from somebody, you feel like you're working for them. And I'll tell you, I've had, I, I go to Tallahassee regularly to testify and to meet with legislators. And I've sat in many a legislator's office waiting for my assigned uh, appointment that I've made weeks in advance and watch the insurance lobby representatives go in and out like family. Mm -hmm. So it's no wonder to me that, that we have some of the problems that we do. Again, we've just got to choose different leaders. <sighs> it's the it's the complicated web we weave. <laughs> so, well, uh, up next, reproductive freedom is on the ballot in November, and women across the state of Florida are coming together to say, "Not on my watch." <laughs> we'll get into that and much more after the break. Yes, I'm a believer, always have been, and I tell my granddaughters, "Take care of yourselves." You never know, but it takes all sorts to make a world. And it's not my place to tell a woman if she can have an abortion or not. That is a decision between her, her doctor, and God. And that is why I am voting for Democrats. FFPAC is responsible for the content of this ad. Someone you love may struggle with a pregnancy, a pregnancy they longed for that couldn't survive that would endanger providing for the children they already have, that comes too soon after giving birth, that they were too sick to carry, that wasn't right for them. Someone you love might need an abortion someday. You can help ensure that when the day comes, they can get the care they need. I support you. Thanks for sticking around. You know, most of us, regardless of where we live or what we look like, believe that, you know, we should decide for ourselves whether and when and how many children to have. But for decades now, a small group of out-of-touch politicians have tried to demonize people who seek reproductive health care. And they do this by passing laws that restrict our freedom to see the doctors of our choosing. 
Now in Florida, we used to have the freedom to decide if, when, and how to grow our families, but that's changing. Back with me to discuss is Dr. Carolyn Zonia, an emergency medicine physician and now candidate for Florida State Senate. So Dr. Zonia, what have you learned in the months following the recent threats to reproductive freedom in Florida and how can leaders sort of right this ship and restore the concept that women's healthcare decisions should really be between her and her doctor? Well, thank you, BJ. You know, again, you and I know as emergency physicians, probably better than many people, that every pregnancy in every situation is different. And we don't always know all of the factors that go into a woman's decision. But it's still, abortion is still health care, and it's still a decision that should be made between a woman and her physician. No matter how people feel uh, personally about abortion. And I think that that first commercial that you showed in the break was very poignant to point that out. Uh, you know, one of the things that we have seen in Florida is that there's been an erosion of our right here, but we're, we're very unique in Florida because it's in our constitution that a woman has a right to privacy and Leander Shaw was a Supreme Court justice for Florida who said that that right to privacy includes the decision to have an abortion. And the second judicial circuit court recently upheld this. So in Florida, women still have a right to make that decision and a right to abortion. And that's why we've seen there's not a trigger law in Florida, but they are trying to pass laws to limit you know, how far in the pregnancy or try and make women uh, go through other, uh, you know, meet other goals before they can get an abortion. We've got to elect leaders who will protect a woman's right to her own reproductive health decisions. And in my conversations with other people on this as well, what I am finding is that personally, there is a little bit of a split when it comes to people's personal feelings about whether or not uh, they support the idea of a woman being able to be able to have an abortion. Personally, I've noticed a split. But when I ask the question of whether or not the government should be making that decision on behalf of women, there is no split there. Like it's an 80-20 thing. People are split in their personal beliefs, but when it comes to the government being able to dictate when a woman can decide when she decides to have children and when she doesn't, people are like, oh, no, I don't want Uncle Sam <laughs> determining that. That's between me, my family, and my God. So I, I agree with you that, um, you know, that first commercial is pr pretty poignant in, 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 in illustrating that. H have you found that in your uh, conversations, or are you finding differently? No, I, I think you're right, and I, I think it's going to be, again, it's going to be a bit of a reckoning at this election because I think that Americans are realizing how they are losing their rights with Republicans making uh, these decisions. And I think there's a lot of concern about what's going on at the Supreme Court. And I, I believe that voters realize now that they are going to have to take the situation into their own hands elect leaders that will protect their rights 
and that will make sure that we get Roe codified, right? Mm -hmm. So that it's not just a decision by the Supreme Court that we actually pass laws that protect our rights. And so we're going to shift gears a little bit. So coming up, Florida, like many states across the South, are facing a massive teacher shortage with Florida kids returning to school with 9,000 less teachers in the classroom. This is a crisis. Actually, is it a crisis? Or is this the plan playing out exactly as it was designed? We'll talk about it after the break. In 2020, we voted for a better future. We delivered vaccines, stimulus checks, and infrastructure. Every leader pushing our priorities is a Democrat. Why haven't we seen more progress? Trump Republicans side with the rich and sow division to block us. This November, they've got another thing coming. We'll grow the Democratic majority so nothing stands in the way of providing a better life for our families. Way to Win Action Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. The freedom for kids to live their dreams starts in safe and welcoming schools. And four out of five Americans agree. Kids should learn the good and the bad of our history so we can build a better future. But some extremists are trying to divide us, even pitting parents against teachers. America came together to stop the chaos in 2020. We can do it again. Paid for by Way to Win Action Fund. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. We're back, and Carolyn, teachers and principals, school board members, superintendents, they have really come under a lot of attack and scrutiny by a small group of people who, in some instances, don't even have children in public school. Um, but I, I think that they're being riled up by out-of-touch politicians, again, using them as a distraction from the fact that they continue to defund the very schools that their children attend. How, how do you see a path forward where teachers can not only teach the truth of our history, but at the and, and at the same time not be worried about lawsuits and scrutiny by the governor's classroom police, as he would like to have? Well, again, VJ, I think you've hit it right on the head there. Um, you know, greedy politicians just want to stay in power and they use these wedge issues to try and make people afraid. And when people are afraid, uh, you know, they're, they're just not thinking straight. They believe what they're being told and they're not being told the truth on a lot of these issues. We, you know, we need to fully fund public education over 95% of Floridians choose public education uh, to for their children. And every child who has a disability needs to go to public school. The charter schools will not accept them. They don't have the resources to take care of these kids. And so we've got to start by funding, fully funding public education. I attended a week-long summit put on by the Ronald Reagan Institute that specifically talked about education. And of course, one of the things we can do uh, to make sure that we stop the, the loss of quality teachers from our school, teachers with experience leaving our schools, is just to extend respect and protection for these teachers. 
Secondly, we need to we need to pay them better. Florida is 48th of the 50 states in teacher pay. So we need to make sure that we're reimbursing our teachers appropriately. We're, you know, paying them appropriately for the their professionals, respecting them as professionals, making sure that they get stipends to help them with supplies so that they're not paying out of pocket for supplies that the kids need. And these are some of the things that we can do to, to help with the problem of losing educators. Now, you know that the governor just recently um, signed an action to let folks who don't have teaching experience or credentials go into the schools and teach. And that might, go ahead. that might, you know, that might help, but you need to have master teachers or, you know, education mentors who are in roles that they can support those folks. Even new teachers who are inexperienced need a lot of support when they first start. So just throwing folks who don't have any credentials or experience into a classroom and, and thinking that's going to work, this, this is, again, a recipe for disaster. So we need well, to... I mean, I think it, it, it shows just how much you know the governor and other politicians really devalue uh, the importance and the profession of, of education and teaching. Like teaching is not babysitting. It's actually a, a, a profession and, and it requires skill. And so to just say, oh, anybody can go and do it because our, our short because we have a teacher shortage, I don't think I think it does a disservice to the people who've dedicated their lives and their careers to the education, you know, of children. And, and oh God, you, you, you brought it up, the four, that we rank 48. We're the third largest state in the union, and we rank 48th in how we pay our teachers. I, I, don't, I don't know. And so I don't know how we even go on uh, with this unsustainable educate, public education system. But, it, I mean, is that really the plan? Are they trying to make public education so unwanted by the public that they can privatize and charter school everything. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that, you know, we have to look at that. But the the other thing that we need to do is we've got to look at where this $101 billion budget is being spent. And that is my plan to put families first. We do a lot for big corporations in this state but not enough for our families. And part of that is fully funding education. We've got, we don't need to increase taxes to do the things that we need to do to support families, seniors, veterans, family farms, small business. None of these folks, I believe, are prioritized under the current governor and legislature. And it's just a matter of changing the priorities, right? You can tell what somebody's priorities are by looking at the budget. And none of those groups are a priority right now. Big corporations are the priority. And putting families first is still business friendly because when families thrive, business and communities prosper. So that, that's why I think it's important for us to change the priorities and put families first. Uh, that is a perfect way <laughs> to end this uh, live stream. That's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, Dr. Carolyn Zonia, I appreciate you so much. 
for coming on on this little live stream that could in our second episode. Um, tell uh, the people that are watching how they can get in touch with you, how they can volunteer for the campaign, how they can donate if they if they so choose to. Let them know. How can they find you on the socials? So if you're watching on Facebook, uh, I am on Facebook at Zonia850Strong. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Carolyn underscore Zonia. Uh, webpage zonia4sd2.com. Uh, please, you know, follow me on Facebook if you're on Facebook. Check out the webpage. There's some great stuff there, including every member of my campaign team signed a code of ethics that we all agreed to uphold. Uh, and if you so move to donate, you can go to my Act Blue account and donate. And the, the money will be used very, very ethically and efficiently. And I'll be working for you. So thank you very much. So if you uh, want to reach out to Dr. Carolyn Zonia, you've got all the information there. If you have any questions for her, uh, things that we did not address in this live, sh in this live uh, stream, do, do us a favor. Either leave your comments here and we'll try and get those questions answered for you. Um, or reach out to her personally. She's very, very, very responsive. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining me con and continuing to share your story and your candidacy with the viewers. Whew, well, that flew by. <laughs> I guess time flies when you're trending. <laughs> I, I see you, Twitter. So until next week, um, I want you all to have a great weekend. Do me a favor, uh, share this uh, live stream with your colleagues and share it with your friends, share it on your social media, subscribe and like the video because th that's how we continue doing this and bringing this information to all of you, um, not only in the state of Florida, but all, uh, people in other states that are watching as well. I see you in the comments. All right. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Carolyn. Bye. Bye.